Hi, this is Katie from Massachusetts. Jed Bartlett is My President is a Chipperish media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To support Chipperish and gain access to exclusive content, please visit patreon.com slash chipperish. What's next? Hi, and welcome to Jed Bartlett is My President, a podcast about the West Wing and denial. My name is Lonnie Diane Rich, and every week I take an in-depth look at an episode of The West Wing along with a special guest. And for a little while, we pretend that the worst thing happening in the White House right now is the chief of staff flirting with his counsel while being grilled in a congressional inquiry. This week's episode is episode 10 from season 3, Bartlett for America. Here to talk with me about Bartlett for America is Mandy Kay, producer and host of Pop Culturally Deprived, a podcast about pop culture that everyone else has seen, but Mandy hasn't. <laughs> Welcome, Mandy. Hi, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us. And I have to say, like, I love Pop Culturally Deprived. I, I'm fascinated by this idea that you like haven't seen so much of the pop culture that we just take for granted that like everybody knows this stuff and it is so fun to kind of hear you take that you know that that fresh perspective on these things that that everybody else has been you know familiar with for ages and ages and ages so as someone who has missed many of the big moments in pop culture (laughs) um did you watch the west wing when it was on I did not. Wow. Uh, this, <laughs> this was one of those episodes where, or I guess TV shows, where mm-hmm. my parents really liked it. And so obviously I couldn't. That was just right. awful. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to watch this show. And then over the years, people have just talked about it and just talked about it. It's just remained something that people love. And a few years back, when I got super, super involved in the Twitter community, I found some folks who were doing a weekly live tweet using the hashtag West Wing Club. And so I started the show with them, and it was two episodes every week, which got to be a lot whenever I have an hour's commute from work, and it was during the week. So I kind of just fell off after, like, right at the beginning of season five, I think, is where I quit. Mm -hmm. And then... This past January happened, and I realized I I needed some more Jed Bartlett in my life, and I really wanted to pretend that Jed Bartlett was my president, and so I hunkered down and binge-watched the last couple of seasons, and now I've seen it all, and it is, without a doubt, one of my favorite shows. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I sympathize. I've been watching it like straight through, like binge watching this this show, which is part of where the inspiration came for me to like do the podcast was because I really needed to believe that Jed Bartlett was my president. <laughs> so, uh, so I've been, I've been doing that as well, yeah. but I definitely understand. All right. This episode aired on December 12th, 2001 and was written by Aaron Sorkin, which is not a surprise because he seems to have written pretty much every episode in the first four seasons, which is inhuman but somehow he did it and directed of course by Tommy Schlamy who is the director with the best name ever and I love that he directs so many of these because I get to say his name every time you know he directs one and it's really really fun (laughs) all right well let's get into the synopsis in this episode of the west wing Leo faces a congressional inquiry about the president keeping his multiple sclerosis a secret. We go into the past to when Leo first convinced Jed to run for president. We also flash back to Leo's drunken stupor on the night of the third Democratic debate. 
Josh and Agent Casper deal with threats to black churches in Tennessee, and Leo flirts shamelessly with his lawyer. All right, so this is a really interesting episode because it's somewhat atypical. We move into this flashback structure, which we do on occasion on the West Wing, but not terribly often. So what did you think of that? Do you like the whole flashback going back into the history between Leo and uh, and the president? I do really like the flashback structures because the show is so character driven that Mm -hmm. you fall in love with all of the characters. And so Mm -hmm. you want to know where they came from. And so getting to see the moments, the important moments that came before really, really helped me and just kind of give me some of what I go to the show for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And getting that history from them. There's something, too, about Leo and the president that that this episode, more than I think any other, is really about that essential love story between a man and his chief of staff, you know? (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, I love that about their relationship. and, And I find this episode very touching in that way because it really is that love story between these two men. And I love that. I mean, I love that it is it is a masculine love story story. It's really nice. It is. I, one of my favorite moments is actually the final shot of the episode when, when Leo McGarry is just sitting there with tears in his eyes. Oh, and it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly normal for this man to have this emotion and this relationship with another man. And I just I love it. No, it's really nice. And especially after that whole day, you know, he's going through this congressional inquiry. He's so cool about it. He's so like slick about it. And then this one moment, this is the thing that brings him down, you know, like everything else that he'd been through that whole day, which was so stressful. And they're bringing up his alcoholism and all of that stuff. And then um, and then to have this be the moment that gets him. I, I really, really liked that a lot. And and I enjoyed the whole flashback thing. But I did have a question because there was something that kind of threw me out. You know, we saw early, you know, like in the in the first season that Leo did not know about the MS until Abby sat him down and told him, you know. Um, So Leo didn't know during this whole time. Nobody knew. Abby and a few doctors knew. But they told Hoynes. (laughs) Does that that didn't ring true to me. I did not believe that they would tell Hoynes and not tell Leo. Did did that seem weird or was that justified to you when you watched it? I think it's a little bit justified. Um, it, it is a little weird, yes, because Leo is his right-hand man, and you would mm-hmm. think that Leo knows absolutely everything there is right. to know. But the flashback sequences in this episode did kind of show Jed to be a little sneaky. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think he, he had to tell Hoynes because Hoynes needed to know the information in order to make his decision to be vice president. It, it would have been unfair for Jed not to tell him. Right. But isn't it unfair for him not to tell, like, all of the people? Like, I mean, I think the the last person he would be concerned about being fair to would be Hoynes. So that, I don't know. That just always seemed weird to me. But, but that made sense to you. It did. It okay, did. Good. Just, good. Just, I mean, Jed's just so sneaky. The, the whole thing when he asked Abby what a physical would show if he took it, and, mm-hmm. and how he's not lying to people because he's taking the physical. You know, th- honestly, that's one of the few character flaws of Jed that, that bothers me, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's very intentionally trying to be untrue there. Mm-hmm. So I think he's both being honorable and dishonorable at the same time. 
honorable mm-hmm. and that he's trying to allow Hoynes to have informed consent to mm-hmm. being the vice president, but also dishonorable because he knows that if people knew about his illness, it would impact his campaign and whether or not he could be president. And he doesn't want that. And so right. it does make sense to me. Right. And there's this moment where he says, I'm telling you this because I want you to know that I trust you. And like, in what way has has Jed ever shown that he has any trust for Hoynes? Like, Ever. And yet he trusted him with this most essential piece of information that could have just destroyed the campaign. I mean, I guess he'd already gotten the nomination. So it was kind of a little late in the game for Hoynes to use it for for, you know, political gain. And Hoynes was looking at the vice presidency and he's a young, you know, Jed says, you're a young man, you'll be back. You know, the vice presidency sets him up for being able to run for president. And maybe he was saying, you know, kind of like, you know, in in a sly way, um, I have MS, I'm going to be a one term president. You know, you can come in here as VP and just move right in. You know, and that the chances are if he maybe telling him that he has MS is a way of making Hoynes want it more, because if something happens while, you know, during the first term, then Hoynes is president. Oh, that's interesting. So maybe he was just banking on Hoynes's, you know, essential self-interest to, like, make him do what he wants because he wanted Hoynes to deliver the South for him. So he needs Hoynes. So I wonder if that was the manipulation there. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know that they made it terribly clear what the motivation was. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure that out, but it never has never made sense to me. Although I guess like I, I can understand it from that kind of political maneuvering that it would be a more appealing idea to be vice president. If you think, well, this guy could drop at any time, you know, and then boom, I'm president. You know? Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. I've always read it mm-hmm. as Jed just being extremely, extraordinarily cocky and yeah. knowing that he's going to win and Hoynes is going to accept and this is a small sacrifice of showing trust for Hoynes mm-hmm. because he just believes there's no way anything could go wrong. Yeah. No, that, I find that really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. It's, it was always an interesting point. I always like kind of jumped out at me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Leo because this is a very Leo centric episode. I mean, it basically is all about Leo and all about Leo's relationship with the president. I think even more than it is about the president's relationship with Leo, like this is very much in Leo's POV. We open with him. He's about to uh, deal with this congressional inquiry. We see Agent Casper, played by Clark Gregg from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who is Phil Coulson to me and will always be Phil Coulson to me. <laughs> so I don't yes. know. Have you seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I have to ask you that because oh, yes, I know you're pop culturally deprived. Okay, so you have seen that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but Phil Coulson is is one of my favorite characters of all time, and I love Clark Gregg. So seeing baby Clark Gregg, he's so young, walking into the room with Leo was really, really fun for me. I really enjoyed that. Um, so he gets the the report from Agent Casper, who is Clark Gregg, um, about the churches in Tennessee, which is kind of like this side story that we sort of have going on in the background. And he's about to do his inquiry. He is so cool. His his lawyer comes in, played by Joanna Gleason, who's a prolific character actress. Um, and, um, and she comes in, and she's his lawyer, and he's hitting on her and he's so cool and he's so slick did it feel weird that leo was was kind of it felt kind of out of character to me that he it almost seemed like he wasn't taking the congressional inquiry seriously what what did you think of that well i loved leo in this episode Mm -hmm. i thought i thought his confidence and his arrogance was amazing Mm 
Mm-hmm. It is slightly out of character for him, but I wonder if it's because he really thought Josh was going to come through for him and he wasn't going to have to divulge the secrets that he had collapsing. Oh, right, because he knows that Josh is working on it. Of course, Josh is frantically trying to get this guy Gibson from showing up and, and get him out of the out of the inquiry. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe he just thinks that, that he's just going to slide right through. But it does, it feels a little bit weird. And hitting on his lawyer, okay? <laughs> hitting on the lawyer nonstop throughout this inquiry. I mean, I like Joanna Gleason. She's cool, you know? But that felt really weird and out of character to me too. Like there's just something about Leo doesn't feel... He feels like Leo in the scenes with the president, but for the most part in this episode, it just doesn't feel like Leo to me. Like it feels like this this sort of off brand version of Leo. But he's he's but he's working for you though in this, right? He is working for me. Oh, that's in this. good. Well, that's good. I'm I'm really really glad. But the big moment here is is you know we go back in time and we see Leo in an alcoholic stupor. You know, and that that whole speech that he gives where he's talking about I'm I'm an alcoholic, I don't have one drink. I don't understand people who have one drink. I don't understand people who leave half a glass of wine on the table. I don't understand people who say they've had enough. How can you have enough of feeling like this? How can you not want to feel like this longer? My brain works differently. He goes on this whole thing talking about his alcoholism, and we've seen him talk about his alcoholism before. Um, but here is this moment where we see him actually like super, super drunk. This was heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking to me because I didn't realize that's where the story was going to go when he was talking mm-hmm. to her. He said no when they offered him the drink. And I was like, yes, yeah. Leo, this is amazing. Be strong. And then very innocently, he's just like, give me a taste of that, you know, and, and it just, it broke my heart. And then to understand that all of this guilt that he feels and all of the issues that are happening in this episode are from one innocent slip of the tongue that he made while he was intoxicated. He was completely drunk. Yeah. And it's funny because he remembers that moment, like as soon as Gibson gets, you know, and they know before it even happens, like he knows that moment. He remembers that moment. He knows that he said this to Gibson, you know, even though at the moment in, in, in the actual time frame that it happened, he didn't know that. Um, that the president had MS and that the collapse was anything other than just exhaustion or the inner ear infection, which is what they thought it was. So his recall of this particular moment with this guy Gibson is actually pretty extraordinary considering he didn't have context for why it would be a problem in the first place. And he was also like unbelievably drunk. Right. But I, I do think they did an incredible job of depicting an alcoholic in this show. His description yeah. while he's talking to Jordan of, of oh, how he feels and, and how alcohol feels to him and why he can't just put it down. It was amazing. And it, it was something unlike anything I've ever heard before when describing an alcoholic, because usually on TV, alcoholics are the butt of the joke mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not taken seriously and it's not, you know, full of gravity the way this moment was. Right. And you feel that moment for Leo when he when he falls, you know, when he he resists the drink at first 
and then he falls to it and then he drinks and he says no I don't drink with people I drink alone and I don't have one you know I have 10 it's it is I think a really beautiful expression and I can't help but feel like there may be some you know personal experience Aaron Sorkin fairly you know common knowledge that he had a lot of problems with uh with drugs and i think also alcohol um and uh, and he had that kind of addictive personality so for him to to understand that and to express it in i I think it is possibly the most poetic expression of alcoholism that i've ever seen and i've ever heard and and when we actually see leo drinking because you know we we deal with leo as a recovering alcoholic like he drinks water like he does not get drunk you don't see leo in that kind of super compromised and vulnerable state you just don't see it so to see leo you know stumbling and an hour late for a meeting that he was supposed to have you know on the night of the debate like all of that is um, is so heartbreaking to see him kind of fall that low because we're so used to him just being so incredibly strong. Right. He is on top of everything. And so to see him succumb to his temptation here and fall just, you know, John Spencer is MVP of this episode. <laughs> Oh, I know. No, he's amazing. And he did like, you know, whatever issues I might have with some of the writing and some of the way these things are depicted. He, you know, brought it home as an actor. He did an amazing job. And I think that honestly, for that, for that interaction, for the writing, um, the description of his alcoholism, for all of that, I think that's another thing that makes this this particular episode so incredibly powerful and so affecting. Um, and, uh, and I absolutely, I really, I love that whole run. I thought that was just beautiful and heartbreaking and wonderfully expressed and wonderfully shot too. I mean, it was so the darkness and the shadows while he's drinking, you know, um, it's, it's just beautifully like visually expressed as well. So I just thought it was beautiful. I agree. Um, so we've got this whole thing with the inquiry and everything that's going on there running side by side with this story about how he, um, how he pulled Bartlett, you know, into becoming president and wrote on that napkin Bartlett for America, you know, which is, which is a fun thing when that comes back later and, and Jed gives him the framed, uh, napkin, which is just beautiful. Um, but we also have like all of these Republicans and this, this sort of story going on with, with Cliff Callie played by Mark Feuerstein, right? Right. Um, and Cliff Callie is, um, you know, the guy that Donna is sort of off and on with um, throughout the, the series, you know, spoilers. Um, <laughs> so Cliff is like this, this he's a Republican, you know, operative. He's a Republican counsel. Um, and in the middle of this whole inquiry, you know, he goes off on the guy who um, Gibson, the guy who brought up Leo's uh, Leo's alcoholism. And he has this whole thing, like this whole rant that he goes on, this honorable rant where he's yelling at these guys. And he's like, this is Bush League. This is Bush League. This is why good people hate us. This right here, this thing. This isn't what these hearings are about. He cannot possibly have been properly prepared by counsel for these questions, nor should he ever have to answer them publicly. And if you proceed with this line of questioning, I will resign this committee and wait in the tall grass for you, Congressman, because you are killing the party. So what did you think of of Cliff Callie being so honorable where they're talking about we're we're here to win and he's like no we're here to get to the bottom of it how did that work for you 
Oh, I love, love Cliff Callie. During oh, this yeah. scene, this is one of those scenes where I'm like shouting at the TV, like, yes, you <laughs> get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Gibson, I just want to punch him in the face every time I see him. Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking to me. And I don't know why it's shocking to me because pe- people are just horrible people, you know. <laughs> and, and so when Gibson says, I live in the real world mm-hmm. and in the real world we win. Right. You know, my my brain just like wants to explode because I don't <laughs> understand how somebody can be so gleeful about taking down another person. And in this mm-hmm. moment, he's trying to take down not one, but two people. He's taking down right. Leo and the president. And so for, for Cliff to just step up and say, no, this isn't what we do. This mm-hmm. is not why we're here. He just like, I got little hearts in my eyes for him, I think. Aww, little hearts in your eyes. I like that. <laughs> no, he yeah. is. He's, he's really cool. And, and, you know, I like him in that moment. But, but it does feel like, because the guy who's like, we're here, we win, we, you know, destroy each other. This is what we do, you know. Like, that guy, I believe. You know? Right. <laughs> and maybe it's just that I've become so jaded about, like, the reality of politics. And, and part of what is so appealing about the West Wing is that idealism. Like, you want that idealism, you know, in the White House. And I do like the fact that, you know, one of the things that that the West Wing does, the West Wing is obviously like very, very, you know, slanted to the left. Like it, it has a very liberal viewpoint. I don't think anybody could argue that it doesn't. But I do like when we have these Republican characters that are clearly Republican, that are clearly on the other side, but also are honorable and that make good arguments for that perspective on things you know and this idea that you know that he, this is why people hate us you know that he is so cliff Kelly is so incensed by by the same kind of idealism that makes us love all of these characters in the west wing so much you know um so it was kind of nice to see that and i was glad to see that on the republican side of things that we're not just you know vilifying the right you know, on in this story, even though we are very left slanted, you know, in, in the stories that we tell, um, but that we are actually, you know, showing that people can be Republican and honorable and decent people. You know? Right. I think the show is really good at doing that because we see other Republicans throughout the run. I'm going to be honest, I can't remember exactly when she shows up, but when Ainsley Haynes shows up, she's oh, a Republican. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's just fantastic. And of course, she is. Uh, later in, in later seasons, we'll have Alan Alda playing a Republican mm-hmm. presidential candidate. And, and he's just amazing, too. I mean, of course, there are things that he says that, that I don't agree with because, you know, spoiler alert, I slant liberal, too. Right. But <laughs> the show does such a great job of, of being open and embracing kind of both sides of the fence a little and bit. And you those you, arguments. Yes. And you do actually get, you know, some of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Some of the opinions that, and values that maybe we wouldn't agree with on Mm -hmm. the Republican side, but they do it in a respectful way most of the time. And then you get characters. And in a way that I can respect, you know, like it's, it's a presentation of these ideas that I can disagree with, but still respect. Yes. And I really I love when they do that, because that's exactly like what I want to see in regular discourse is that we have two sides that see things differently, but are making solid arguments that you can respect and that you can work with, you know, 
Um, right. So I really I like that. And again, it's it's this idealized version of, <laughs> you know, of this political landscape. But it's it's pretty cool. And I like that a lot. Um, we were talking about Josh a little bit before, and I kind of wanted to hop back to that um, because I don't know if you picked this up or if you remembered the story that um, in in Noel, which is uh, the 10th season or the 10th episode of season two, um, when Josh was struggling so much with his uh, post-traumatic stress uh, after having been shot at the end of season one, um, we have Leo telling him this story about the guys walking down the street. He falls in a hole. The walls are steep. He can't get out. Some guy comes by and, you know, and says a prayer for him. Another guy comes by and throws a prescription. In. And then the friend hops in the hole with him, you know, and so he tells this whole story, um, uh, you know, about that to, to Josh saying, I've been there. I know where you are and I can help you get out. And we have this this wonderful moment where he's on the phone with Josh at the beginning of the episode. And Josh just says all he says is a guy is walking down the street and he falls into a hole and we have no reference nothing to did that did you remember that what that was a reference to did that make sense to you when you were watching it this time around oh it absolutely did right uh, so you remember that story yes i mean noel is is one of my essential episodes oh, yeah. of west mm-hmm. wing uh mm-hmm. just because of of how much we get of josh in that episode but mm-hmm. this story is is one of those stories that just makes you sob oh you know? I know. and, and the, the relationship between leo and josh is is it's a more subtle relationship than really mm-hmm. what we get than than Leo and Jed, but it's mm-hmm. still there and it's just as strong and it's just as powerful. And it is. It's like it's another love story because part of what Josh is doing, I mean, when he's not dealing with the the churches in Tennessee, is that he is really killing himself trying to rescue Leo. Trying yeah, to get Gibson out of the inquiry. Yeah, you know, he's spending his day doing that and it obviously means a great deal to him. And I just I love that they use this one line, you know, the guy's walking down the street and he falls into a hole with no reference, with no you know, nothing like if you hadn't seen that episode, you would be like, whatever, I don't know what's going on. But I mean, it's it's one of these things that the West Wing does where they really trust the audience to keep up, you know, right. to see what's happening, which I think is really, really cool. And I loved that moment. I thought it it, it really demonstrated um, like the core of that relationship. So we're having a lot of these, you know, really lovely masculine relationships, you know, which is something that you don't see as much especially in modern pop culture we're seeing it a little bit more now i'm finding in in some of these stories but generally when you have men men are men and they're you know they're rough and they're gruff and they have gay panic and all this kind of stuff like you don't see a lot of men just loving each other in a way that is you know just a just a masculine just a genuine masculine friendship relationship you know where there's there's no gay panic there's no homophobia it's just two two heterosexual men just loving up on each other, just adoring each other, having a relationship, you know. I love when when we see that, you know, where we can just celebrate men in community. Typically, when we're talking about stories about community, we end up telling those stories with women because women are about community and men are about action and, you know, this kind of thing. And I really kind of like that we have this episode where we were so focused on these these really deep and meaningful masculine relationships. And it's fun to see Josh kind of as a counterpoint to the relationship Leo has with the president. Yes, I agree 100%. Yeah, it is is really fun to see those relationships. Um, So one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, there's a lot of good stuff. I like the stuff that we've got going on with the men. 
How did you feel about the the way women were treated in this episode? I, you know, it's about 50-50 for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, generally, this show handles its core women, you know, Mm -hmm. Abby and CJ and Donna relatively well. Mm -hmm. You know, CJ Craig is is my spirit animal and I love her to pieces. Mm -hmm. And sadly, she wasn't actually in this episode, I don't think, except in the previously on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... The best thing that happened in this episode regarding the treatment of women was at least when Jed acknowledged that they treat women poorly. Right. Because there's this moment where he's like, Abby's about to... Abby's about to get spanked. Guys, the things we do to women. My wife's a world-class scientist. Right. Coming from, though... Coming from this, and I don't mean to be like the negative Nelly here, but I guess that's going to be my role tonight. Um, Coming in the same episode in which earlier in the episode, we have this moment, this exchange on the phone between Bartlett and Leo, um, where where the president says, yeah, yeah. How How does she she look look to you? you? Her. She looks good. What's she wearing? What are you wearing? What does it matter? Why don't you ask the president that? Gray Armani suit. Like that whole exchange to me bugs me. It bugs me because I don't believe that Leo and Bartlett would have that conversation. And I mean, this episode was written by Aaron Sorkin, who's creator of the show, creator of all these characters. Nobody should know these characters better than Sorkin. But this episode feels like it was written in a fever dream to me with, (laughs) with the way in which they are dealing with um, with this particular woman, with this lawyer, with this badass, tough as nails, smart lawyer who's taken no flack off of anyone, right? To have the president say, what is she wearing in that, in that way that is, I mean, that is a phrase that is generally used to reduce a woman down to whatever it is that she's wearing as some kind of sexual object. I don't know. Am I being oversensitive? You are entitled to whatever thoughts and opinions oh. and feelings that you have. <laughs> Those are perfectly Mandy. 100% invalid. Mine are a little bit different mm-hmm. because Jed's, oh, his whole personality is when he's not on as president yeah. of the United States. And in this capacity, that's not how he's talking to Leo. He's talking to Leo mm-hmm. as his friend. And right. Jed's personality is one where he messes with people. I mean, the first thing that he said in this conversation was, you know, I don't care about whatever. You perjure yourself if you have to, you know, and and he knows Mm -hmm. it's an insecure call and that people are listening, you know, and in episode after episode, Bartlett does things very intentionally to get a rise out of people. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's just teasing Leo because he knows Leo has a crush on her. And so he's just, (laughs) you know, he's teasing him. He's he's lightening the mood. He's kind of helping him loosen up before he goes into this congressional inquiry. And so honestly, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was funny. Okay. No, that's good. Like, I'm glad because I know that like, I get my hackles up over this stuff, my little feminist hackles, you know, Um, and this episode, as much as I I love the relationships with the men, I love those masculine relationships, the way that women are handled in this episode and are treated in this episode, just kind of, it, it kind of grates me the wrong way. But then later on, while Leo is hitting on this woman, um, (laughs) we have this wonderful moment from her where she is absolutely like taking no guff from this guy. So 
I was thinking maybe, you know, dinner. Listen to me. I don't like this. You pay me $650 an hour. You tell me everything. Well, what do I have to pay to only tell you some things? I don't know, but you have to pay it to another lawyer. So what are you saying about dinner? I'm not kidding around. I love like how serious she is in this moment. I like that she's not taking any of his nonsense. Um, I like that she is absolutely slapping him down, you know, um, because the way that he is treating her and the way that he is talking to her, like feels really inappropriate to me. And it feels disrespectful of like her status as his freaking lawyer who's trying to keep him from, I don't know what the consequences of this hearing are. I mean, obviously, you know, it's serious. And, you know, we're dealing with Bartlett lying about having had MS during the campaign and all of this stuff, which is a very, very serious thing. But like, I mean, he's got this lawyer. There are going to be consequences. He's flirting with her the whole time and messing with these guys and like putting his hand over the microphone and pretending like that he's, you know. And I mean, I would say like in and of itself, like on its own merits, the dialogue is charming. It's funny. It's back and forth. But I find myself completely annoyed. And I love this moment where she slaps him down. Yeah, I I can see why it would be aggravating, as, especially whenever you, you take it as a whole. You're mm-hmm. right. The, the dialogue itself and the conversation is, is completely charming. I love yeah. Leo in these scenes. I do. I, I think know. it's fantastic. But I can't help but be reminded of the beginning of the episode where Leo forgot that tomorrow is Christmas mm-hmm. because he just works so much and he, and, and he right. is the job. He has no life. And so, you know, the president reminds him that tomorrow is Christmas Eve and he shouldn't have to work. And it's only after that, that he starts mm-hmm. this whole flirting thing and asking her out all the time. And mm-hmm. so I feel like this is Leo trying to find his work-life balance and just doing a really terrible job at it. <laughs> God, I love the very positive spin that you're bringing to this whole thing. <laughs> because otherwise, if I was, you know, if I was in this, you know, conversation with somebody else, we might just be here bashing this whole thing. <laughs> I'm really glad you're here to bring a more positive spin and a more positive look at uh, at those interactions, which I think well, is good. One of th- I'm happy to I'm help. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much. No, I think it's good. I'm, I'm really I'm glad to have you kind of like, you know, set me back a little bit and bring that other perspective into it because it just my feminist hackles are just raised. I can't help it. Um, and Donna, we don't see a whole lot of Donna in this episode, but the, like the big moment that we have with her, she's being hit on by Mike. Listen, churches are burning down. Otherwise, I'd be hitting on you. I appreciate that. Sure. Maybe when it's a better time. Like what is in the water at the White House at this time? Although it is, I have to say. I'm completely charmed by this interaction and I kind of ship Donna and Mike. It's just like a really <laughs> adorable moment. And of course it's baby Phil Coulson, you know? Right. So, so it's baby Phil Coulson who is charming in every particular and, you know, and he's just being really sweet with her. And even though like the only thing we see of Donna in this episode is her being hit on by a guy, you know? Well. Um, it's, it's, but it's nice and it's charming. And I have to say, like, this particular interaction didn't bug me as much. It was in the context of, like, okay, my God, can you guys just leave the women alone? Like, I don't know what they put in the water that you guys are behaving like this, but respect people in a professional environment. But at the same time, it's so cute, and I kind of like them flirting together. 
Yeah, this one I really, really like. And I, I feel like this one is way super self-aware because they're both mm-hmm. laughing. And it's just – I feel like uh, Mike's comment – otherwise I'd be hitting on you is more of a comment of, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because you're a cute blonde, but we're at work. And so we're not going to to do that. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more of the show poking fun of itself rather than actually hitting on her, especially since her response, she's laughing, you know, she's not offended. It's just all in good fun. Well, I'll tell you something. If I was at work and baby Phil Coulson hit on me, I'd be all for it. I got to (laughs) say So, yes, I'm a mass of contradictions. <laughs> I understand. I'm a feminist who can be easily swayed by baby Phil Coulson. <laughs> well, and in my head canon, this actually mm-hmm. is Phil Coulson undercover yes. b- prior exactly. to the MCU. Because so. he's still an agent. Right, right. Before <laughs> the world got all weird in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was like, you know, prior to that. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's my head canon. Absolutely that this is Phil Coulson. Because it's just Clark Gregg is just adorable in everything that he does. And I don't think that you can have him do something that I'm not going to completely fall for no matter how you know how bad it might be (laughs) i'm gonna love him no matter what okay so the the last bit of my whole feminist hackles thing and you can talk me down from this too and i'm hoping that you do because i think it'll be fun there's this moment later with josh and and baby phil colson where to brief the president no the director will brief the president mike that's your task force out there. The only reason you're not out there with him is because, I don't know, because you're a woman or something. I am temporarily desk assigned for health reasons, a decision I appealed vigorously. Okay, does that, <laughs> because you're a woman or something, that's <laughs> why, like, okay, uh, tell me again, am I, just, am I just being overly sensitive? Oh, I can't talk you down on this one. <laughs> okay, thank I you. I can't. All right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this one is – I'm so disappointed in Josh, and, and the only possible excuse I can come up with is that this was in the 90s, and this was okay. It's yeah. not okay now, and it really wasn't okay then, but it kind of was. And these are the kinds of jokes that they made, right? Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I got nothing because that one's not okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So on Feminist Hackles, I've got a one out of five with you, I think. <laughs> Something like that, Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I'm good. I like the disagreement. I think that that's cool. Um, so one of the things, though, that I kind of wanted to bring up about about this whole thing with the president hiding his MS, um, we've talked a little bit on the show before about how the West Wing is inspired by um, by the Clinton administration. You know, the, 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 a lot of the people who have worked on the West Wing, like Dee Dee Myers, you know, was the press secretary for a while and she worked on, she was a consultant. They have a lot of consultants from, from the Clinton administration who were on this show. Um, but there's also a reference to JFK. I mean, first of all, we have a, you know, charismatic president from New England, you know, um, and, uh, and JFK, you know, had hidden his Addison's disease, which is a, a very, you know, a potentially fatal um, um, kidney disorder, um, had, had hidden that and it hidden the, the, the extent to which he had so many health problems while he was in office. And it was something that I don't think really came out at the time. It came out much later. Um, but I think that, that this whole idea of Bartlett with his MS is, is one of those references 
to um, to JFK because I think that I feel like Bartlett is sort of a, a combination of JFK and the Clinton administration and and then an idealized version of of all of that you know um, which I think is really interesting did you did you ever notice that did you ever think about like like where the the um, the inspiration came from for this president. Do you see any other presidents in in President Bartlett aside from from Clinton and uh, and JFK? I have to say, I I was never actually super involved in politics until uh-huh. fairly recently. Yeah. Um, probably probably since two thousand eight is really when I started mm-hmm. to get involved, and and that mm-hmm. was maybe the second time I was even eligible to vote in a presidential election. Mm-hmm. So for me. You know, I was in the third or fourth grade when Clinton was president. And so yeah. mm-hmm. I don't really remember a lot about mm-hmm. what he was like other than what everybody remembers about Bill Clinton. And yes. and so, <laughs> you know, I, I hear people say things like, you know, Jed Bartlett is inspired by that administration. And, and the only similarities that really hit home for me are just that it is a left-leaning Democratic administration. You know, right. go, going down into the details are things that just don't hit home for me because it wasn't a part of my life mm-hmm. ever until mm-hmm. I was well into my 20s. So for you, the Bartlett administration is just its own thing. <laughs> it is. It, mm-hmm. The Bartlett administration is a celebration of optimism. And oh, it's absolutely. something that I wish was real so many times, but I really don't see much comparison to things I've personally experienced through presidential administrations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I haven't personally experienced JFK, but I am like an American history nerd. So um, so I get really into this uh, this idea of of, you know, this inspiration coming from a number of presidents that he's not just you know, kind of a, a fictional representation of Clinton and, and, you know, Clinton for everything that he was, you know, was, was obviously not, a really ideal human being, you know, like I think he was a good politician, right. but as a human being there, there are definitely things wrong with Bill Clinton. Um, and I think JFK as well, you know, I mean, they were presented, I think, um, and JFK much more than, than Clinton was, um, they were presented as these very ideal versions. Um, and JFK, I think managed to get through his presidency without a whole lot of that, you know, um, being tarnished, although he was he was a womanizer, and I think I wasn't alive during the JFK administration, but I mean I think that like people kind of had a had a read on him at at that time, but they just didn't. I don't think it became quite the scandal, you know, that it was say for you know Bill Clinton and his right. womanizing, which was which was a whole different thing. Um, but it is kind of fun to think about like where the inspirations come from and the and the real historical references. Um, within the show and and the MS story always brings me back to to JFK and his Addison's disease and and all the things that he kind of kept quiet which were really you know very very serious I mean the Addison's disease was was potentially fatal that that whole time and he was really in in a lot of pain while he was there Um, but I always found that kind of interesting so one of the questions though that I have for you um, is uh, who is your your favorite? C.J. Craig is your favorite character. Did you say that on the on the West Wing? Yeah, she is. You know, honestly, it changes kind of episode mm-hmm. to episode, but overall, C.J. Craig is my spirit animal, and I want to be C.J. Yes. Craig when I grow up. <laughs> In this particular episode, it is Leo because yeah, Leo covering the microphone because they're being snotty to him is just amazing. Yes. 
<laughs> in a lot of episodes, it's Josh. And I know Josh is the go-to for everybody, but I feel like I relate the most to Josh because he's such a spaz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if I had to pick mm -hmm. somebody to be, it's going to be CJ Craig. Oh, yeah. No, CJ's pretty awesome. She really is. And it's kind of a shame. I kind of missed her in this episode. You know, I appreciate that Allison Janney needs time off just like everybody else, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but if I had my way, you know, she would be central to a lot more of these stories, definitely. So another storyline that we have in this episode, which sort of feels really understated, and I think this happens a lot at least for me in a lot of the West Wing episodes, I'm I'm so much more interested in kind of the personal stories and the relationships between these people. And when there's something happening, you know, that's supposed to be like a big moment or we're dealing with with something happening, like these these threats on the black churches in Tennessee, you know, um, I always kind of zone out during those stories. So I don't know if it's just me. It feels kind of like this this weird thing that's that's happening in the background, but not a storyline that really kind of grabs you and holds you. I mean, what did what did you feel about this this storyline? Did you were you into it? Did you follow what was going on or were you just like, okay, let's let's get back to Leo and the microphone and the flirting? Um, a little bit of both. <laughs> Honestly, I I think the reason this storyline was there was to kind of show that life goes on. You know, the mm -hmm. world still happens even yeah. when the president is facing a congressional inquiry and his chief of staff is, you know, trying to keep secrets and, you know, all this <laughs> White House drama going on, you know, the mm -hmm. world still turns and, and it's not just about the president and his life. And so mm -hmm. I think it's great to have this floating in the background because it, it reminds us that this isn't just about life in the White House. It's about what the White House does for the country. Yeah, what they do and, and the kinds of issues that they, they need to deal with. Um, OK, one of the things that bothered me and again, <laughs> I am just a crank this week. I don't know what is going on with me. That's OK. But this bugged me. OK, this is the thing that bugs me, though. It bugs me all the time. Last week, uh, in, in last week's episode of Jed Bartlett is my president, I had uh, Rebecca Lavoie on and we discussed the episode Stirred, which is eight episodes um, past the one that we're watching now. So it was the 18th episode of season three. And they had a, a possible terrorist attack. Um, they had a truck that had nuclear rods on it that had been hit by another truck. And one of the first things that they, they talk about is, you know, potential terrorist attack. And, and the president goes, well, was he Arab? You know, and we associated that with with terrorism and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, we're, we're going back a few episodes now to the 10th episode of season three. We have somebody who is burning black churches you know which is a form of terrorism but we never talk about it as terrorism the word terrorism never comes up in all of these discussions um and then we have you know this guy got caught for um for a brake light his name is gilbert murdoch so i'm presuming you know um that he is not of, of any kind of middle eastern descent but the thing that bugs me about it, and it just, it may just be me. And again, I'm being such a crank in this episode. I just, everybody's going to hate me in this episode. <laughs> no one will ever hate you. Right. No, it can, it does actually does happen. You believe it or not, but it does. Um, but that like, we never talk about it as, as terrorism, which it really is because it is apparently a white person doing it. And that somehow when, when white people are burning places down and threatening people, you know, 
um, you know, because of their, of, of, you know, whether it be nationality or whether it be color of their skin or whether it be gender, like when you are going after a group of people and terrorizing them, like that is terrorism, you know, um, burning black churches is terrorism and we don't acknowledge it as terrorism. And then we have this, this like horrible moment from, from Jed where he's talking to the governor and he says, you get to be the hero to the blacks in your state. Oh, I cringed. Oh, okay. So it's not, is it not just me then? No, it's, it's not. Um, I, I absolutely cringed in that moment and I w- wish that he could have taken it back. But okay. So here's where I'm going to throw one of your catchphrases back at you. Oh, throw it back at me. <laughs> yes. What is it? You always say reality is no defense for fiction. Right. Mm-hmm. But it kind of is because <laughs> we write what we know and mm-hmm. that's what happens in in our world and in our country. I mean, look at as recently as in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. Dylan Roof was convicted of the Charleston church shootings. Yes. And he was mm-hmm. never once called a terrorist ever. Right. And this was going mm-hmm. on at the same time as the Boston Marathon bomber who was right. of Middle Eastern descent. And of course that's terrorism. That's so terrorism. Right. That is what happens in our world today, you know, yeah. and we're 20 years later. It was definitely what was happening back then. Yeah. And I guess, I guess for me, like, um, and I think it is, I think it is a reflection of the Dylan Roof thing and of the, the Boston Marathon bombing for me. Um, I'm so frustrated by the only time we all identify something as terrorism is if it's somebody Middle Eastern, if it's somebody of, of some kind of, you know, Middle Eastern descent or whatever. Um, and that frustrates me because Terrorism is when, you know, you do acts of terror against a group of people for the purpose of, of, you know, making them afraid. Like that's, you know, that's what you do. Um, so yeah, for me, I think that it bugs me not so much because it was in the writing, you know, because the writing does reflect, you know, the reality of the time. Um, but it, it just bugs me in general that that has been our mindset for so long. And I think what I'm taking is a, 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 a thing from reality that bothers me and seeing it in this fiction and just being like, oh, my God, can I not get a break from this? Can somebody please acknowledge that just because it's a white person doesn't mean that it's not terrorism, you know? Um, and then and then the idea, you know, and then the, the phrase the blacks, which is another thing that like really got me. I need to acknowledge it and call it out, you know, and I need to like say that this is here and it doesn't again mean that there's these are bad people you know writing these stories or whatever but just like the the acknowledgement of it i need it to be acknowledged i need i need for like people to just say yes that's not okay (laughs) yes that's not okay thank you mandy that's all i wanted that's all i wanted that's all i asked (laughs) i completely agree with you wholeheartedly especially from a perspective grounded in reality and what's happening in our world right now absolutely Mm But can I yeah. talk you back on something just a little bit? Yes, please do. Please so do. For me, the climax of this whole B plot was mm-hmm. actually when Josh was very, very insistent that Mike Casper be the one to brief the president on it. Casper didn't Mm -hmm. want to do it because it's Mm -hmm. kind of above his pay grade. It's something that his boss should do. And Josh was insistent. No, you figure this out. You should get the credit and you should do this Mm -hmm. and, and talk to the president. And that was just something that I loved because it was people respecting mm-hmm. people and it, and it was, you yeah. know, giving credit where credit is due. And it was baby Phil Coulson, you know, being uncomfortable. Yeah, and I really Coulson. loved that. <laughs> 
So to me, yeah, no, I, think, I like that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, that was the climax of yeah. this whole B plot, and and so it kind of elevated it for me because it it ended up on such a high note of, you know, just people being good to each other. Right, and it's the it's the personal story, you know, like because because Casper comes in in the beginning and he's briefing Leo and he's intimidated briefing the chief of staff, like he doesn't feel comfortable doing that, you know. Right, and we see them going through this whole thing, and Josh, you know, brings Casper in, and you know, you should brief the president, and you should, you know, have this con- you should have this moment of glory, you know. And I think that that is really nice. And that's honestly the part of this story that I enjoyed the most is not necessarily, you know, all of the details of what was going on, you know, in the background of it. But just that we have this this ordinary, everyday baby Phil Coulson who gets to come in and, and brief the president, who gets to have his moment, you know, in the sun. And, and of course, is incredibly humble and doesn't want it and doesn't ask for that attention, you know? Right, right. Um, and I think that that's, it's, it's a really, it's a nice moment. It's a nice thing for Josh, you know, for Josh to acknowledge and say, you know, you've earned this, you should do this. This is a moment for you to be able to do this because who knows if you're going to be able to do it again? Who knows if you're going to be able to, you know, when are you going to brief the president? How many times in your life, right? This is like a big opportunity. So it was nice to see him do that. And I did like, aside from the, you know, are you a woman uh, comment, <laughs> aside from that, I really loved the stuff with, uh, with Josh and Agent Casper. I thought that was really fun. I did too. My my favorite part between the two of them, I think, was when uh, Mike didn't know where they were going. He was just following Josh. And then all of a sudden, he stops in the hallway and he says, that wall is curved. Yes. Because he's just no. figured out where it they're going. It is so cute. It is so cute. That is one of my favorite moments. I yes. <laughs> it is. It's really incredibly sweet. And, and Clark Gregg's delivery on that. I mean, the only thing that disappoints me is that Clark Gregg was not part of the regular cast. <laughs> he was only in a few episodes. Yes. Because he is so wonderful and adorable and charming. And, uh, and I just... I absolutely love that. But mostly, I mean, let's end on a high note as we talk about, you know, this uh, this show, this episode. It really is those masculine relationships depicted in a very loving way, you know, with no gay panic, with no nonsense, you know, just allowing men to, to express that affection um, and that loyalty for each other. And I think it's really wonderful. And at the end, when the president gives him that framed napkin and that's when it all came together for me like a lot of this episode i felt like you know we're going into the past or we're moving all around and it's about the ms and then we've got agent casper and we've got all this stuff happening in that moment at the end when the president gives him that framed napkin that that he had kept since that night since that night when leo suggested that he run for president um, and when Leo has that, and that is the thing that breaks him after everything he's been through that day, after everything he has faced being so cool, that that's the moment that breaks him down, that this is truly, you know, a love story between Leo and the president. And as soon as I understood that, everything that annoyed me about this episode kind of slid away. Like it's, it's, you know, these minor details and these things that are just getting my hackles up, but in that in that final movement of this story, it is so beautifully expressed and so incredibly touching. I mean, I cried. Yes, it's impossible not to cry whenever you watch the end of this episode, I think. 
I know. I mean, it's so incredibly touching. So overall, like, I think, like, I, you know, as much as I've spent a good chunk of this, you know, discussion complaining about the things that are in the episode, I really did like it. I really did enjoy it. And I loved, I loved Joanna Gleason as, uh, as Jordan, the, the council, um, and, and the way that she, you know, set Leo down. Of course she does, she does eventually, you know, accept his invitation to dinner. So she ends up going out with him anyway. Um, but you know, who could possibly turn Leo down? Especially you know, after that, that day. I mean, yes, they're being snotty. Yeah, that was a tough day. Yeah, they're being <laughs> snotty. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Jed Bartlett is my president. Sadly, it's time to take off our fresh from the dryer, warm, fuzzy bathrobe of denial and get back to the real world. But I hope this little break has given you strength to face the world as it is and fight for it to be what it should be. Thank you so much, Mandy Kay, for hanging out with me this week. Mandy, tell the good folks where they can find you. Well, thanks again for having me, Lonnie. This was so much fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay, and you can also find out more about my podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Eloquentgushing.com. I love the name of that website. That's pretty cool. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'll be back next week with Dr. Kelly Jones and our thoughts on episode 18 of season one, six meetings before lunch in which people go to meetings and somehow Aaron Sorkin makes that interesting. Until then, here's a word from your chief of staff about your president. The president was at the debate site walking the stage. A podium is a holy place for him. He makes it his own like it's an extension of his body. You ever see a picture work the mound so the dirt does exactly what his feet wanted to do? That's the president. He sees it as a genuine opportunity to change minds. Also as his best way of contributing to the team. He likes teams. I love him so much. Jed Bartlett is My President is a Chipperish Media production. To get exclusive Chipperish content and access to a community of amazing people, go to patreon.com slash chipperish. All clips in this podcast were used under the fair use exemption for criticism and commentary of the U.S. Copyrights Act. 